NAD Ministerial presents Adventist Ministry, a best practices podcast with Dave Gimmel. I want for us to turn there to the Old Testament. I'm going to read. Welcome to E <laughs> And this morning we're having a baby dedication. You know, every now and then. We baptize you now in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Spirit of the We're about to go eat. I want to thank you for the food. Is there a second to the motion? To present to you the happiest newlyweds in all the land. Muy buenos días, amigos, hermanos y familias. God, give us strength and power to live like you told us to live. Welcome to the Best Practices of Adventist Ministry podcast. I'm Dave Gemmel. Tell me. Is a call to ministry static, or can it change? After about four decades of ministry, I've come to believe that a call to ministry is fluid. Perhaps I can compare it to the river that flows behind my house. I can take a picture near my house, or I can move miles upstream and take another picture, or miles downstream and take more pictures, and every picture will look different, and yet, It's the same river. That's kind of what a call to ministry is. Even though it looks different at different times in our lives, it's the same calling. About six years ago, for a feature at the Called Convention, I interviewed pastors about their call to ministry. Snapshots. We're going to play some of those today. But we're also going to move a half a dozen years downstream and take another picture as we update those calls to ministry. In Act 1, when Jaime Pombo's life was at its lowest point, it was about to change. Um, And the gun was empty, but I knew where the bullets were. And so at that time, I remember wanting to end my life because there was just no worth whatsoever. And I thought I was doing the world a favor if I could just cease to exist. Um, and I remember putting the gun right to my, right to my temple. And uh, that was the first time that I really heard a voice that said, don't do it, I love you. In Act 2, Pranitha Fielder reveals one of the biggest obstacles to her call to ministry. I distinctly remember once uh, someone called me on the phone who I hadn't seen since I was five years old. And they called me and they were angry and they said, what do you think you're doing? Who do you think you are that you think you can be a pastor? You know, the next time I see you, I'm going to pull you in front of everyone and tell you about yourself. It's painful. And finally, in Act 3, you'll meet Marvin Ray, who contemplated his call to ministry in a very unusual place. After church, I would take uh, the, the little stipend that they paid me and I would go down to the tavern and drink the rest of Sunday away. And so many times during those dark years of my life, I actually used to sit on the bar stool and would think I really wanted to be a minister. I really was supposed to be a minister. Our website, nadministerial.com, has links and resources if you want to go deeper. Just click on the podcast tab. Now, let's get started. Act 1, Jaime Pombo. At the 2015 Called Convention, Jaime shared how it wasn't until he reached the lowest point in his life that he paid attention to God's voice. Listen to his story. 
My story began in Colombia, South America. I grew up in the city of Barranquilla, uh, a traditional, uh, a traditional Hispanic Catholic. Um, growing up in Colombia, you have uh, many different issues, and so uh, you know every kid goes through their period, especially during their their teenage years. Um, for me. It was not so much uh, turning to drugs. For me, it was not so much turning to alcohol or turning to cigarettes or anything like your typical. I didn't necessarily belong to a gang either. Um, you know, so my journey in Colombia became um, uh, quite a challenge, especially in high school when I faced the challenge of bullying. Um, you know, I remember that I was in high school and, uh, you know, those were really tough times because, especially during your teenage years, you know when you face a lot of that, um, you you wonder who you really are or if you're worth anything. Um, I hit depression at that time, and that depression point, I got to a suicidal point, um, and I still remember like it was yesterday, uh, you know. And I have actually, and I've never told my parents this. But I remember like it was yesterday, uh, my dad had a gun in his room um, and the gun was empty, but I knew where the bullets were. And so at that time, I remember wanting to end my life because there was just no worth whatsoever. And I thought I was doing the world a favor if I could just cease to exist. Um, and I remember putting the gun right to my, right to my temple and uh, that was the first time that I really heard a voice that said, don't do it, I love you. And I kind of wondered where that came from, you know, because I didn't really experience a personal God at that time. For me, God was somebody that was very arbitrary, uh, somebody that was, uh, you know, just ruling the whole system, but not really interested in me per se. When I graduated high school and left the country, um, I came to the United States, had an opportunity to do that. And this is where I, where I met the Lord. You know, I, uh, I was staying in front of, a of an Adventist Academy, Forest Lake to be more exact in Orlando, Florida, Apopka to be more specific. And pastor Alejandro Bullon was preaching a revival series. And that was my very first interaction with the Seventh-day Adventist church. Um, after six months of Bible studies, I got baptized because that was the that was the gap that needed to be filled in my life. From there, went to Southern Adventist University, um, and uh, I just went to study uh, community wellness because I thought that I wanted to, you know, help people by, you know, exercising, being fit, etc. Two years into that, um, I lost passion for that, and I was wondering if God was calling me to something else. And so uh, one of the best decisions that I ever made was uh, one of my friends, his name was Carlos. He told me, you know, why don't we go as student missionaries? So uh, Carlos, David, and myself, along with other fellow student missionaries, we went to the country of Guyana, South America. Um, and over there, you know, went from the comfortable United States to the very primitive jungles. Uh, I remember we went to, you know, over in the, here in the United States, we had cars, we had fast food joints, 
comfortable beds, air conditioners over there. We had uh, hammocks, we had humidity. Um, we did not have electricity. We only had a solar panel that, cha that charged a, a 12 volt battery. We had to go down to the river to brush our teeth and bathe and uh, wash our clothes. We had to go up to the farm and uh, ate rice and beans for a lot of the meals that we had. But in that year, that was when I first came to the idea of service. And that's when it became clear to me that through service is uh, what actually, that's the fuel that actually keeps us going and actually gives us a reason to keep going. Um, you know, and it was in Guyana where I preached my first sermon. I was teaching Bible over there out of all things. So I was kind of wondering why the Lord was putting all these things in my path. And I sensed for the first time there, my call to ministry. Um, you know, I really, I said, Lord, I, I want to do what you want me to do. Um, and so when I came back to Southern, I, uh, you know, I, I told the Lord, I said, God, you know, um, I think you're calling me to be a minister, but if you have something else for me, that's completely fine because at the same time, you kind of don't know exactly what you're getting yourself into. But I said, if, you, if, there's, if there's something else that you want me to do, then, you know, then close the door and, and we can talk. It's not a problem. I, I certainly didn't mind. But the Lord kept opening them and opening them and opening them and opening them um, to the point that my last year in uh, at Southern um, I was, uh, I remember I was a ministerial candidate there and because of my, um, my immigrant status, I was a student, uh, with a student visa, my, there was, there were challenges in me getting a call because I wasn't a U.S. resident then. I wasn't illegal, but I wasn't a, a U.S. resident or citizen then. But, uh, you know, sure enough, the Lord, the Lord said, you know what? I got you. I got you right here. And, uh, and I got my call to the Gulf States Conference in 2006, and I've been there ever since. So, It's been about a half a dozen years since I first had that interview with Jaime. A lot has happened in this world and in Jaime's life since then. Let's catch up. Uh, what's going on in your life and particularly your call? Has it changed? Has it morphed? Does it uh, grow more specialized? Or right? Yeah. Um. You know, I think. Uh. You know, I think. Uh. In my case, my call has definitely um evolved. Uh. You know, I'm still obviously a Seventh Day Adventist minister. Um. We definitely are living in different times. Um. And uh. You know, just the things that have been happening recently. You know, especially with the coronavirus, with the political tension. Um, during the, the COVID time, uh, for me, probably the biggest challenge was actually this past January when, uh, COVID actually hit my family. And as a result, um, we've lost my dad, uh, at 84 years old. And that was, a that was probably the icing on the cake and not in a good way. What is it that gives, keeps you going, that gives you resilience through these, you know, huge challenges that you face specifically, uh, during the COVID, uh, epidemic? Yeah, I'm really glad you asked that, Dave. Uh, and it's something it's actually that I encourage um, all the pastors to go through as well. But uh, Dave, you know, one of the things that has kept me going, well, obviously, you know, being with family is definitely a motivator. And uh, introduce us to, uh, to who, you, who you have with, with you right now. 
Sure. This is Jaime Caleb Pombo. This is uh, my second son. Um, he is uh, four weeks old today. How sweet. Um, and during these hard times, uh, during these very challenging times, um, I've actually uh, have been, um, have, I've used a resource of therapy and counseling. With that in itself, it's something that uh, I've been able to process and digest a lot of these things that have happened because, you know, it's almost been like it's been one thing after another. Do you hear God calling you to ministry still? I do. Yes, I do. Every single day. Whenever I, you know, whenever I wake up in the morning and I, um, I open my Bible, you know, I, I always feel reassured. Uh, and going through circumstances, especially looking back, Dave, going through all those challenges and, uh, you know, going through the moment, you really don't see God until you look back and you realize, man, hey, God has actually been with us this whole time. It's never fun to go through uh, all those things, but, you know, life is fun and then life is not so fun at times. We still keep going forward. Yes, Jaime. We still keep going forward. Thanks for sharing your call to ministry in that update. We pray for your continued resilience as you push through the next iteration of your call to ministry. For more about Jaime and his ministry, check out our show notes. Act 2. Pranitha Fielder. Pranitha serves at the Sligo Seventh-day Adventist Church as pastor for discipleship and congregational care. She's been with the Sligo community for over two decades. It was here that she first received her call to ministry. Listen as she shares her journey, complicated by race and gender barriers. My call to ministry is intricately tied into my uh, journey to knowing Christ. Uh, I was born in India. Uh, I was, grew up there till I was about seven and a half, uh, primarily by my grandfather. When I was seven and a half, we moved to you know America with my mom and brother. My dad had been here for a couple years already. So I was pretty angry moving here, growing up, uh, just leaving my grandfather behind, coming to a new country. It was all very different, and, and I just didn't feel like I belonged anywhere. Grew up very angry. The first time I remember praying uh, of my own free will was eight or nine, and I got into it something with my parents, and I went into my room, slammed the door, and I cursed, got out the best an eight- or nine-year-old could. When I got to TA, Tacoma Academy, um, I was still pretty angry. I didn't want to be there at TA, and it was my freshman year. Um, we were in week of prayer, and on the last day of week of prayer, they made an altar call, and all these high school students were going up to this altar call. And I thought it was stupid. I thought it was ridiculous. I thought, why are they going up there? And so I got up and left the chapel. And I was uh, at the back of TA's chapel. And all of a sudden, I had this overwhelming feeling that I'd never felt before, um, a sense of belonging and a sense of coming home that I'd never experienced in my life. And uh I felt like I finally belonged to someone and I knew it was to God. So I was in the back of Tay Chapel and I was walking out and one of the seniors who had been praying with me all year long, who'd been kind of trying to get to me, uh, saw me and gave me a hug and I kind of just fell apart there and I just felt 
finally like I belonged to someone and I knew it was to God who I belonged to. I felt this overwhelming feeling that for the rest of my life, I had to help other people feel the sense of belonging. And that's when I knew that that was it. That's what I had to do for the rest of my life. And so from that point on, I knew that it was going to be ministry. It was going to be um, working for God and helping people feel at home with him. So I was 14 and I didn't know all the details about, you know, pastoring and all of that. I just knew this is what I had to do for the rest of my life. And that began uh, years of conflict, you know, in my community, in my family, with my friends. Um, being an Indian girl, uh, many people thought that that wasn't right. Um, not just that I couldn't do it, but that it was wrong for me to want to do it. I have a lot of uncles. Uh, my grandfather and great uncles were all pastors. And even they thought that I shouldn't do this because they firmly believed that it was for men. Uh, so, you know, I had people pulling me aside and telling me what I was doing was wrong. I distinctly remember once uh, someone called me on the phone who I hadn't seen since I was five years old. And they called me and they were angry and they said, what do you think you're doing? Who do you think you are that you think you can be a pastor? You know, the next time I see you, I'm going to pull you in front of everyone and tell you about yourself. It's painful. Um, honestly, it's... Um, um, it's still painful. Um, internally, what I do is, um, just go back to the Lord, uh, and remember, <laughs> and remember that he's the one who called me. And while not everyone is comfortable with that, um, I only answer to him, you know, and so that helps, that helps to, to push through it, um, to know that I'm not wrong in his eyes, even if other people think I'm wrong. Uh, and to know that helps. Um, and you know, you, you, you move past it, you know, you, you forgive, uh, and, and you just move past it knowing that, uh, knowing that God knows what he's doing and that in his eyes, I am fulfilling what he's called me to do. You know, I think we're all called to Christ. That's why, you know, we have the plan of salvation. And I think once we're called to Christ, we're also called to how to serve him. It might be as teachers or doctors or in very many capacities. Once we call ourselves Christians, there's a call on our life, no matter what that call is. Uh, my call happened to be to church ministry, you know, to pastoral ministry. But I believe as Christians, every one of us has a call. And the first call is furthering his kingdom. Thanks, Pranitha, for sharing your story. And let's catch up. Pranitha is still serving at Sligo. I asked recently if her call has changed any. I just want to give you a, a chance to update your calling. Uh, has anything changed or grown or burned hotter since that, that last time you shared? Sure. Um, thank you for having me. Uh, I think burned hotter is uh, 
what I identified with what you said. And I think what's burning hotter is supporting other women pastors. Um, I've been incredibly privileged to be at Sligo and to be surrounded by as many female pastors and I, as I have been, uh, and to kind of pass that on, uh, just various experiences after the GC session in 2015, um, bringing some women together, uh, because there was just a need for processing and venting, especially even with high school girls that were feeling called to ministry and were very confused. Uh, so I was able to at Sligo host, um, along with other pastors in the union and uh, help with the end from the NAD to host just a day of processing for female pastors. And that just kind of led me to stories of women just calling me because they found out about it and sharing their struggles. Uh, and then since then, just being able to work on other conferences for female clergy and hearing stories of women who feel called to ministry and are trying to live it out, but just don't have the support and encouragement. So I think the way I feel it, the call deeper is trying to be a support and encouragement to women anywhere who feel this call and are trying to live it out. Thanks, Bernitha, for your continuing support for the growing number of Adventist women clergy. Go to our show notes to find out more about Pranitha Fielder's ministry as well as links to the complete video version of her story that was aired at the 2015 called convention. Act 3. Marvin Ray Marvin Ray's early call to ministry was derailed by the actions of a father addicted to alcohol. Listen as he describes the difficult road he had to navigate in distinguishing between the picture of his heavenly father and the image of his earthly father. I first sensed a call, a definite call to ministry, a desire to go into ministry uh, when I was 12 years old, growing up just north of Seattle uh, in a little town on Puget Sound called Edmonds, Washington, and uh, growing up in the Church of God. And uh, I went to my first altar call to respond to that, to give my life to God and, uh, and thinking of ministry even at 12. And as I, uh, as I knelt at the altar, I ran into a, an obstacle because a, a doctor in the church came and knelt beside me and, and told me how glad he was for me, but how happy my heavenly father was. And as soon as he said heavenly father, um, there was a disconnect because in my home growing up, my mother, a devout, wonderful, sweet Christian lady, and my father, an atheist alcoholic, who had told me when I was five years old, uh, you know, don't call me dad anymore. I made two mistakes in my life. First, there was your sister. Then there was you. I hate all kids, but I hate mine more than anybody else's. And uh, we we never hugged from five years old on. It was shake hands and call me by my first name, Raleigh, and all of that. And uh, it just really uh, was a struggle. So I, I grew up knowing that my father was somebody to be avoided, tread carefully, and, and stay out of his way. And so when I got this picture of, of a heavenly father, and I never really connected that before, I just knew that God couldn't accept me. And uh, so I walked away from that, having knelt at the altar and actually cursed God because he wouldn't accept me. I repeated that 
time and time again. I must have gone to 20, 25 altar calls at camp meetings, at junior camp, seeking his acceptance, and I never got it. Uh, not God's fault, obviously, but something that I felt. And finally, I just bailed. I, I went away and I became my father. I became an alcoholic. Uh, I married my high school sweetheart and went to college up in Bellingham, Washington, uh, studying music. Uh, interestingly, uh, conducting choirs in the Church of God up there and in the Trinity Lutheran Church up there on Sundays. And uh, after church, I would take uh, the, the little stipend that they paid me and I would go down to the tavern and drink the rest of Sunday away. And... So many times during those dark years of my life, I actually used to sit on the bar stool and would think, I really wanted to be a minister. I really was supposed to be a minister. And just wondering, how did I get here and how would I ever get out of here? Um, I ended up divorcing my wife and, and moving to Portland, Oregon where I met uh, my present wife, Ingrid, uh, a Seventh-day Adventist, a third-generation Seventh-day Adventist who married me when I was a two-pack-a-day smoking alcoholic. And uh, don't ask me why. I can't understand it. I'm just so thankful that she did. And we're getting ready to celebrate 44 years together. Uh, started attending church with her at the Seventh-day Adventist church periodically, uh, a lot of a lot of unpleasant experiences at that time. I ran into some messages that didn't quite uh, strike a, a, a warm chord with me, but kept attending on and off. Finally, we moved to Ukiah, California, where I was working with Bank of America in their management training program. And uh, one uh, fall uh, Saturday afternoon at the Ukiah Seventh-day Adventist Church, a musical group came to town called the Heritage Singers. And Bill Truby was singing, The King is Coming at the End, and he made an appeal. And I thought, oh, my, an appeal. And the same, the same sense of calling and yearning struck my heart that night like it never had before. And I didn't want to go to the front. Nobody else was going to the front. But I finally walked down to the front, and I felt God's acceptance like I'd never felt it before. And I gave my life to Christ, and I knew immediately what was supposed to happen. Within three weeks, I quit my job with Bank of America, and I was at PUC uh, in second quarter, started in January, enrolled as a senior theology major. Hadn't finished my Bible studies, hadn't been baptized yet, but I was a senior theology major looking up Daniel and Revelation and the table of contents because I didn't know where they were and sitting in Leslie Harding's Daniel and Revelation class. And uh, a year and nine months later, had done my Greek and homiletics and pastoral training and, and all of that and was in my first church in, uh, in Davenport, Iowa. And uh, I just knew, I knew that that was where I was supposed to be. And 
how God brought me through that time. I and mean, we, we were married. Uh, there were two, two children already in the family. We had a third while we were at PUC, and I was driving 100 miles every night cleaning banks at Bank of America. And uh, I went from management training to a janitor, which is good because it was a $300 a month pay raise. Uh, God just led us through those times, and there has never been a question of God's calling and leading. And I'm just so thankful that God gave me one more call. I have no doubt He would have given me more, but it seemed to me like to me that like that was really the last, the last opportunity, and God made good on it. And God did make good on it through a lifetime of service in pastoring, ministerial director, and back to pastoring. But now, after many decades, Marvin's call to ministry has taken a turn. I called him recently to check in with him. Yeah, so it's been about uh, six or seven years since we talked about your call to ministry, and I just wanted to do an update. Has anything changed in your life in the last six or seven years? And, and if so, how has your calling changed? Okay, well, uh, things that have changed is, of course, my age. Uh, that just keeps going on. But, uh, you know, Dave, no, the, the calling, if it, if it was a true calling, the calling never, never changes. The, the assignment changes. We retired a little over four years ago from Napa after 17-plus wonderful years there. That just, what, what a great way to finish. You kind of made a... Uh, a second career about uh, of, of being an interim pastor. Any any advice for for those that are on the verge or just recently retired? Uh, if you still enjoy preaching but don't want to handle all of the administrative stuff anymore, if you have an opportunity to be an interim pastor, you know, do that. My goal is to go into churches and uh, just create a spiritual revival so that they're ready to run with the new guy when he gets there or the new gal. I want people to have the absolute assurance of their personal salvation with Jesus Christ because nothing, nothing else matters. Thanks, Jaime and for Nathan and Marvin for sharing your call to ministry with our podcast. To watch the full interviews, go to our show notes on nadministerial.com slash podcasts. I hope this episode has been as insightful and inspiring for you as it was for me. And I hope these stories will help you reflect on how God may be calling you. Thanks for joining us for NAD Ministerial's Best Practices Adventist Ministry Podcast. We're available on all your favorite platforms, so please like, share, subscribe, so you'll be notified when new episodes are posted. We're here to help you grow. Keep going. But most of all, keep growing for God's glory. Adventist Ministry. Adventist Ministry Podcast is a production of NAD Ministerial. Executive producer, Ivan Williams. Designed by Halloran Hilton Hill for NAD from Anything is Possible. Written and produced by Dave Gimmel. Edited by Taizi Snyder. NAD Ministerial.